This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Friday, October 7th. 2022. And I got Stephen Shank here of Android Police. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. This is Pixel Event Week. And so guess what we're talking about today? iPhones. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you can if you want. I think in context, <laughs> we'll probably talk about iPhone. But here, here's the thing. I wasn't at the event in in New York, they didn't invite me, which is weird, but I'm on Team Pixel, so my phone should be coming at some point. And I am getting the watch to review. I'm reviewing the watch for hot hardware, so stay tuned on that, folks. Nice. But what's your takeaway uh, before we dive into the details as to like an yeah. overall perspective on this event? What was the vibe? You you weren't there, were you? Oh, yeah, I was there. Okay, so you, you probably can give me a better feel of the vibe of the place. I'm excited now. The The actual event seemed a lot less... So, so I was at the Pixel 4 launch, um, which was a huge production, big space. I remember that one. I went to it. I saw Martha Stewart at that event, uh, <laughs> was the highlight for me. But this felt a lot more intimate. But at the same time, I think that Google's ambitions for the Pixel 7 are a lot bigger. So it's kind of... A reversal of a Pixel 4 started out with a lot of to-do, and then I don't think it succeeded in the way that the company was hoping. I mean, a lot of people were disappointed, but I mean, the battery life just sucked on that thing. There's no two ways about it. The Pixel 7, though, I think Google might have an actual winner here. Um, We just saw some story today about it. Supposedly ramping up production orders, planning to sell double the devices it did last year. I don't know if that's realistic or not, but... The company's excited, and I think that came across with the with the announcement yesterday. And, and just bringing the watch in and the tablet, it feels like you know the, I can really dive into that whole Google ecosystem now in like an Apple kind of way. Bathe yourself in all things Google. But you know, at the same time as I want to be optimistic and feel that I agree with you, part of me is being super jaded and says, we've seen this over and over again, well. I still don't think that Google is serious about hardware. I think that they're trying to be. I think Rick Osterloh and his team are trying to push in that direction. But Google is a company, I think, right now, especially with some of the you know kind of downscaling they're doing in some areas, mm-hmm. I am not convinced that hardware is still more than a look at what we can do with our software and our services and not a serious play like Apple is a serious play. And I I don't want to say this in a dismissive way because I'm a Pixel user and trust me, I will not move from the Pixel. Like after what I've seen yesterday, I'm getting, of course, I'm getting a 7 Pro. No doubt about it. I got a 6 Pro and despite some deficiencies, I still absolutely love it. I'm looking forward to finally having a smartwatch that fully integrates with my life, my Google Mm. life. So reviewing that's going to be awesome. The tablet I'm less excited about, but I'm excited too, but I feel like I'm always having to kind of contain that excitement because Google, I don't think, is serious. I think that the Pixel 6 series was a pivotal point for them because they finally did it right. They finally delivered flagships to us, right? But the price was also a factor, right? Yeah. 
But then there's Tensor, which I think is a huge disappointment. And I really want this Tensor G2 chip to be remedying all the issues I'm having with my Pixel 6 Pro. And I think a lot of that is around battery life. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is around the fact that there are, I, I don't know, I feel like every time I use the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 phone, no matter what the software stack is on it, I have a kind of a better experience in terms of battery life, in terms of responsiveness, maybe not in terms of computational photography, maybe not in terms of their heavy yeah. software on top of it, but I, f- I kind of, I'm really hoping that's what they focused on because if not, then, but then we're anyway. in trouble. Then this whole tensor experiment might be for, for not, um, yeah, I, I didn't end up using the 6 Pro as my daily driver for the last year. I've had it around, and I would use it occasionally, but never really made a point to, to work with it long term. So I didn't really experience the same um, battery issues. And also, I hear a lot of people talking about connectivity problems um, with the Oh, the I do. Series. I do. I have. You yeah, have those? Absolutely. Yeah. I have that. Mostly 5G. Like, Wi-Fi has been rock solid, but man, mm. 5G is all over the place. If I compare a... Even a MediaTek Dimensity phone from abroad, since I'm on T-Mobile, most of the 5G bands now work on Chinese phones, at least in the geographical areas where I live, which is mostly the West Coast. But I compare the signal quality, and it's night and day. It's just night and day. Like, I don't understand how Samsung can be so behind with their radio. Yeah, um, so I'm really fingers crossed that this resolves those issues for the people who have been having them. Um, but yeah, I, I never really dove into to the whole Pixel 6 experience. So I'm, I, I've already moved my SIM over. I am going just full immersion in the Pixel 7 and the Pixel Watch. And I'm ready for Google to convince me that this is what I've been missing out on. Um, for the past year, I've been doing Samsung. I was wearing the, the Watch 4, carrying an older uh, Note 20. But I, I've been away. From, from Pixel, and I'm curious if coming back will will convince me that Google's making the, the right decisions here. It's interesting what you said about uh, about feeling still like this is Google using this as a chance to show off what it can do in software. Um, because I feel like that's what was going on when we with Nexus phones back in the day. And the direction that, I mean, the whole reason we had the rebranding with Pixel was Google trying to Admittedly, I don't think it tried hard enough uh, for the, you know, well, all the generations so far to make an Apple out of itself, to make this the commercially viable product. Um, but this year is tricky. We have a lot of distrust of, of, I mean, you can just look at what happened with Stadia. People see a, a big Google hardware project just go up in smoke overnight with, with little warning. And yeah, I mean, the company's trying to reassure us that, that if you invest in it, it will it will stick with you. It's giving us these five years of updates now. Uh, it's showing us that you know it doesn't want Samsung to be leading the pack. And I mean, that's a long time to have to be waiting to see if it delivers. I, I surely expect Google to. It's been pretty good with doing its software support for phones that uh, technically didn't need it anymore. I mean, the Pixel 4 just got, I mean, it's got its last update in October yeah, here. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets another one, like it's done, you know, it comes back a few months later, it's done with the Pixel 3, I think, got one like four or five months after the last one. Uh, just yeah. like, if some, you know, like a roundup and if there's any big serious problems. So I, I have faith that, that Google not just will 
deliver on its promise, but maybe also even a little more than that. But I don't know that that shoppers at large will have the faith in the company because it hasn't really had the opportunity to prove itself or or when it has had the opportunity, it's you know, neglected to. Yeah. And I think that's a whole different discussion, obviously. Oh, like, yeah. You know, is it delivering what we want? For, and then is it actually going to be successful commercially with that delivery? I think it's delivering what we want since the six series. I felt like the five was a good phone. And all the A's have always been great phones for their money, including the 6A currently, in my opinion. But I feel like the 5 delivered a solid thing, but it was a mid-range thing. That's not what we were expecting from Google. Mm. We knew they could do better. So the 6 remedied that. And of course, it's tough. They, it introduced, considering they introduced a new chipset, well, you know, relatively, I mean, it's an Exynos modified. It's still a new chipset. And for them, it means a whole code base had to be optimized for this new chipset. That's a that's a big ask, and congrats for them doing it. But then again, at the same time, the jaded me says, well, they have billions of dollars. Of course, they should pull this off, right? right? Okay. How does Google fail at anything? Right, exactly. But the thing is, so I'm very content since the Pixel 6 last year that Google gets it. They know how to make a flagship now. In fact, they're beating the competition at making a flagship in terms of price. They're still making metal and glass devices when half the people are going to plastic frame rails and plastic backs and whatever. Oh, it feels right? so good. Like, I'm sorry, guys, but like I do use my phones in a case because I'm a little accident prone. But I understand that for me, having these high quality materials comes hand in hand with a Flagship experience, I'm sorry. If you don't feel that way, go buy OnePlus 10T. Great phone, plastic frame, okay? Great phone. But to me, this is the thing. This is why I love the Pixel 6, and now, of course, by association, it's an evolution of it, the 7, is mm. that if you look at this hardware, it's there's zero compromises made. In fact, they've made the phone thinner, right? And lighter in some cases. And with the 7 Series now, from what I saw on the spec sheets, and, and I'm like, okay, I didn't even need that. That's like a bonus now. The prices haven't changed. With this in, in this economy, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I am everything's sorry, going up this year, right? But $899 for the specs on the Pixel 7 Pro is unreal compared to the competition. In $599, are you kidding me? That like, is the value here. I mean, look, this is they are doing it right in terms of hardware. They're nailing it. The only question mark? Is the Tensor G2, will it improve on radio performance and battery life efficiency? I don't think it'll ever reach Snapdragon levels, but I want it to at least come close to Dimensity levels, right? Yeah, like, I don't want to be disappointed. If it's, 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 if it's fine, then that'll be fine. And I think performance-wise, it's been fine. It's just these areas where we've been let down that we need to see some progress with the second generation. And so, you know, I want to celebrate the fact that this hardware is tops. Like, if you look at it, the Pixel 7 now has less bezels, a slightly smaller screen, granted, but that does, doesn't matter. I think the bezel look was, a honestly, I didn't have an issue on the 6. I don't care. Yeah, that's fine. A lot of people felt that, yeah, that could be improved. And look, Google went ahead and improved that. They didn't have to. I really honestly thought the 7 would just be, like, in terms of hardware, the way I thought of these two new phones before they were coming out was, these are Pixel 6 and 6 Pro with minor tweaks and a new Tensor chip. And hopefully the price stays the same. And we got even more than that. We got thinner phones. We got less mm. bezel on the 7. We got a new ultra-wide 
sensor on the 7 Pro that has autofocus and lets you do macro photography. Like, who asked for that? I've been doing my macro shots on my 6 Pro by using the telephoto and pulling back, mm. and it works great. And so now I have more options, okay? It, it, they're giving us a new um, sensor for the uh, telephoto, which I'm a little worried about because it's a Samsung sensor instead of the Sony IMX586, which is on the 6 Pro, and which is a, such a proven sensor in terms of tuning that I'm hoping that we don't see a decrease in performance because, you know, in actual use, that telephoto is one of the best telephotos on any phone. And I'm including phones like the Honor Magic 4 Pro, uh, phones like the Huawei P50 Pro that also have large sensor uh, telephotos, phones like the you know Xiaomi uh, 12S Ultra even. So my point is that because of all the computational goodness, plus mm -hmm. a 4X magnification, plus that IMX586, the 6 Pro telephoto was a weapon. And I'm hoping that by changing the sensor that we're not losing that. But we're getting 5X magnification, which I think is good. And more importantly, and I want to really stress this, nobody's written talked about this other than uh, Stephen Litchfield in the UK, is that the 6 Pro did not have super zoom between 1X and 4X. So you were always getting kind of a compromise if you shot at 2X or 3X. And then at 4X, the telephoto would kick in and then you'd get super zoom onward. But now we have super zoom across the board. It starts at 1x, well, at 2x, really. And actually, at 2x, they are using this crazy thing where at 2x and 10x, like double the zoom on both the main sensor and telephoto, you're now getting a re, like they're rebearing the sensor and creating a, a proper true 12 megapixel photo that's lossless out of that. That blows <laughs> my freaking mind, Stephen. Yeah, I was just talking to someone about uh, my experience with, with pixel cameras and the software and remember being very frustrated the first time I realized that there was no easy way to just use the you know, jump to the hardware zoom levels. Like I didn't want to do any software enhanced business. I just want to use what's coming out of the cameras. Other phones made it easy to just jump to that without sliding around and the pixel completely obscured this. It, it, it removes you from the hardware. And that was fine. I, I, I panic about this when I first think of it, but it just works so well in software. I think Google's convinced me I don't need to think about is this, at what point am I using hardware zoom? At what point is this being digitally enhanced? It's so smooth that, and it just works so well that I mean, Google's made a convert out of me. I don't even think twice now. I'm sliding along, zoom as far as I can go, get all the detail I can before, you know, eventually becomes untenable but it just I, I i'm so excited to see uh what the pixel 7 pro can do i i, I mean this is the demos at google's event i didn't get much time to try the uh the camera out hands-on uh during their demos but this I, I don't think there's any chance here that this fails this is just no I, i'm pretty confident we're gonna be okay it's gonna be and great. i want to I want to share a quick anecdote with the audience hmm. because anecdotes, and I want, maybe you have an anecdote about using the Pixel 6 Pro camera since you haven't really dug into the 7 Pro yet. I, yesterday, decided not to deal with Pixel and the event and whatever else since I, out. I just, I just, yeah, I just, uh, my spouse's birthday is coming up. So I booked a float plane trip from Vancouver here in Canada to one of the islands 
And it's like, they call it the mail run. You're hopping from island to island in a float plane and you get to stop for a while and have some food and come back, right? So I booked this thing and I kind of purposely booked it for yesterday because I was like, well, I kind of know what to expect and I'm not invited to the event. I'm doing the podcast the day after, so I'll have coverage, it's fine. And so I don't have a Pixel 7 Pro yet, but guess what? I have a 6 Pro, so I took it with me and a bunch Mm. of other phones. And like I shot some incredible things, mostly through the telephoto as I was flying in these float planes yesterday. And I kept thinking to myself, do I really need another camera right now? Like I don't think so. And this is kind of the first time that I had a Sony Xperia 5 Mark IV in my pocket. I had like, you know, uh, uh, Honor Magic 4 Pro, which is another crazy camera phone in my pocket. I had all these other phones and I just didn't use them because I was like- the Pixel. I know for sure it's going to nail it, especially because I was zooming past 4X a lot, uh, you know, looking out of a tiny airplane window. And, you know, this is what I'm trying to say is that, like, for me, I know how to set up a photo. Like, I know how to frame a photo, take my time, maybe tweak some settings. But when you're in that spur of the moment where you're only going to get that one shot of Canada Place from the window of that plane forward, like, you have a two-second window to take that photo. If you miss it, it's too late. That's when the Pixel just does magic. And I'm sure the iPhone does magic too, but not at that telephoto range, not when I was shooting at 10X, you know? And and to me, the fact that they've managed to improve this on the 7 Pro somehow just is what really has me super excited because as a, you know, I, I don't think we can have a conversation about the Pixels without photography. And that's why we're already in deep in these in photography because to me, this is one of the things that, has always been my passion about mobile is mobile photography. But Google's been really delivering and now they're kind of starting to master those large sensors, right? It's taken them a little while to get there. And I want to see what they do maybe next year with a large resolution ultra wide because that's the next step, right? Yeah, I, while I didn't carry around the Pixel 6 Pro as a daily driver, I'm just having it like lying around my house whenever I need a photograph of something, that's the phone I'm going for. Um, because I, I don't want to take the time to like set up proper lighting and use a DSLR, but that's just, it's, it's the point and shoot to beat, uh, even without using the zoom a lot. Just if I want to take a nice looking selfie, if I just want to show off the new shirts I got, just grab the Pixel 6 Pro. That is fantastic. Uh, you don't have to think about it. And, and especially when you're grabbing, you're talking about those impromptu shots. I think other phones have really let me down. I was trying one, uh, two days ago on the way to the Pixel event. Um, I'm driving uh, to the train station here in Philadelphia. The uh, the boathouse rows are starting to get all decorated for the holidays, and I tried to do an impromptu shot. Zoomed in very far, tapped the shutter while in a moving car, and the Note 20 Ultra just choked on it. It, it doesn't have that pixel magic, the ability to to you know grab a bunch of frames of succession to automatically pick the right one to 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 right right. I guess computationally process the hell out of that. Uh, and I am so happy to be getting back to Pixel where I can, you know, not miss these shots. And, and you know, this is a, a, a problem. When you miss a picture like that, an opportunity, it's gone. You're not getting that moment back. And, uh, and Google, is all of its uh, photo stuff, I think, is very focused on these, you know, preserving life moments, the the way the photos automatically, you know, give you your memories and, and stuff. And I think that just ties right back into the hardware with this. Google's giving you a way now to create those memories and have them. and all that good stuff. Yeah, and so we also should note that the Pixel 7 is getting the same 
front-facing camera as the Pixel 7 Pro, which is a slightly wider lens, which is good. Also, the ultra-wide, at least on the 7 Pro, is wider now, which is one of the reasons I still use a Galaxy S22 Ultra for some product photography. So I do all mm. my product photography with the 6 Pro, right? The Pixel 6 Pro, because as you said, I don't want to have to pull out DSLR. It uploads to Google Photos, low light, it handles just fine. Oh, uh, yeah. Now it has... The main sensor now has such a creamy bokeh that I shoot at 2x usually. Um, and now with the new thing, with the real 2x, I'm going to have some even better product shots. That creamy natural bokeh, I don't have to do portrait mode or anything. For phone photography, the Pixel 6 Pro is my go-to. And actually, in fact, for those of you out there who uh, don't want to spend that kind of money and you're just doing phone photography, like product photography, laptops, watches, all that stuff... Buy a six, just a six or a seven. You'll be happy as pie because you get that large sensor, the creamy bouquet and all that great image processing. You don't need a telephoto for this. Uh, but when I do car stuff, I need a telephoto often because I'm, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm, the car is down on like a grassy knoll and I have to find a place high above somewhere across the street to take a photo. And now 2X is not enough. So I need a little more. So I use the S22 Ultra because it gives me that 3X, gives me that 10X. And then more importantly, the ultra wide on the S22 Ultra is wider. So when I step in the car and I go in the back seat and I put the camera between the front seat headrests, I can take an entire you know, ultra wide shot from rear view mirror to rear view mirror of the entire dashboard with perfect HDR of the outside, you know, and on the 6 Pro, I can still do it, but I don't quite get the edges of the mirrors yeah, usually. Yeah. So with this new ultra-wide that's wider on the 7 Pro, my question is, and it's better telephoto, will I stop using the S22 Ultra for my car photography? And I will put that to the test. <laughs> that would be a great story to write. Yeah? I think it's about time, yeah. So I'm super stoked about some of the improvements. They're very minor, folks, but if you are... You know, a photography nut. This is this is good stuff. And I still wish there's a few things I'd love Google to add. One of them is a white balance lock. Um, like they have exposure lock and focus lock, but white balance you can only lock it for the current shot. And I want to be able to lock it across an entire series of shots. That would be so, handy. Yeah. You know, for, for for product photography, that means less editing and correction later on, right? Because I don't have to put them in Lightroom and go, okay, these five photos are a little off. Let's, you know, autocorrect or whatever. And it's never quite right. So I kind of want to set the white balance and forget it. And then it looks really natural at that point. I've got real bouquet. I've got, you know, everything's in Google in Google uh, photos automatically. I don't know. It's just, I yeah, kind of feel like- that would be fantastic. That's the last thing that I need from Google. So Google, if you're listening, <laughs> I can that sort happen. of see why it's it's it hasn't done this yet because you know it wants to separate you from all these decisions. It doesn't want you to have to think about what you're doing when you when you're shooting pictures. But that said, you know it's it's, it's given us these these simple to use tools that are still powerful. And yeah, I think it would make sense to add that one. Yesterday at the event, I was uh, shooting. You know, all, all of the, the colors that Google has of its products are incredibly subtle. And if you accident, and it had all these, uh, these staging environments set up with accessories and just backdrops that matched every, it was all the same shade. So when you accidentally leave auto white balance on and go to take a photo of the lemongrass Pixel 7, it just turns out white because everything, yeah. 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 So locking oh. against just like a white wall, that would, that would save you in a situation like that. Yeah, I think that would be kind of what I need. But um, 
The other thing that I want to talk about, there is apparently a feature now on the selfie camera that lets you, tells you verbally where to place the camera for best shot. And I'm totally horrible at that, you know, <laughs> being slightly a uh, bigger person, I've got a little bit of that jowl going on and, and I kind of know I have to shoot from higher up to make myself look, you know, right. And, yeah, but I angles. never quite nail it. So now apparently it's going to tell me, it's going to be like uh, a little bit to the left, a little bit. So I don't know. This is a new thing that, that not a lot of people are talking about, but I think this is the kind of thing for those of us who are not native Instagrammer users, mm. you know, didn't grow up with Instagram uh, is going to be helpful. Yeah, I'm dating myself. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, having the um, uh, the ability to to take. I mean, we're, I'm moving on to the Pixel Watch a little bit now, but using that for your selfies, just stepping back a little bit from the camera, right. controlling it with your watch, getting like a full person shot. You have a lot more flexibility now. That's really awesome. Let's talk actually about the one feature that's coming to Google Photos University eventually, but right now only on the Pixel 7 series, which is the one that's blowing my mind. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh -huh. I understand this has existed for a while now with AI and machine learning that you could, you know, get plugins for Photoshop or Lightroom to do this. Uh, uh, Topaz comes to mind and others, right? But the fact that you're going to be able for free very soon, or probably only if you have a Google One or whatever, you know, like... Of course. Because it's like right now the, the dynamic modes and the whatever modes you have, like there's extra settings in Google Photos that you only get if you subscribe. And I do, Premium so I don't really stuff. care. Yeah. But the fact that they're bringing this to the Pixel 7 and eventually the entire lineup of Google Photos, a de-blurring tool. So imagine you miss that photo, like, like maybe in that car with your Note 20. Well, you don't, maybe you don't need a pixel. You can continue using your Note 20 and, uh, and it'll de-blur some of your photos. I have literally junked so many photos because I was like, yeah, I can't remedy this. There's no way. Like sometimes I can tell, like if it's slightly blurry, Topaz will fix it and I have a license and I use it. But it's, you know, now I have to take the photo from Google Photos, download it to my Mac, run Topaz, you know, AI re you know, defuzzer or whatever it's called mm -hmm. you know tweak the settings play with it oh it's good it's very now manual I to, now i have arduous. to export it yeah right then i have to upload it again to google photos none, none of that now you just go into google photos you go you know fix focus or whatever and it just does it and at least the examples they showed were really good i hope it also works with objects i hope it's not just faces oh and that's people. a good point no they they said they said they didn't use people in their, like, they, they seem to be more generic in their presentation. So I'm really hoping that it'll work with just like, you know, phones when we take product photos or whatever. We'll yeah. see, right? I remember, I think the first time I saw something like this, Adobe was doing a presentation. This is, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Almost. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and they show their modeling computing the way that the camera, the lens moved while the shutter was open and then extrapolating from that how that would have affected the uh the image and working backwards to get the original how google actually does this i mean it feels like magic it i know enough physics that it makes sense to me because all the image data is there it's just spread out across the wrong pixels but the amount of computational <clears throat> excuse me processing you need to work backwards just from that to the original is is mind blowing. So I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, AI guesstimates going on here. It's not trying to like pixel by pixel accurately recreate the original. But from the examples we've seen, it's extremely impressive. 
I, I'm sure when we start throwing things at it, like we did with Magic Eraser, people will find some very hilarious examples of it going wrong. Um, I'm really curious how it works with if you have a photo with intentional bokeh, will it, you know, try to restore that as well to like sharpen, over sharpen uh, your background? I think there's enough of a pattern there that the AI can detect the pattern because, you mm. know, um, bokeh is essentially like mimics the shape of the lens. Like in, if you, you know, like that's why Leica bokeh is so sought after because their lenses are shaped in such a way that the shape of the bokeh uh, blo the blobs is very mm, unique mm. to Leica, right? So there's a shape to the blob, and I think they can detect that. I don't know. I think I think I'm not too worried about that. But I think the way I mean, basically, the thing the way it works is, you know, here's a picture of a person in focus. Here's a picture of a person that's blurry and it's motion blur. Feed that to the algorithm. Learn how to fix it, and it does. Right? That's basically how these neural networks work. And you feed. With all the Google photo database out there, you can feed millions of those into this model, and then you get a, a technique that works. And and I think, you know, it just takes a lot of computation, which I guess the Tensor G2 chip helps with. And it also takes an algorithm that they had to develop and tweak over time to make it do it properly, right? And now, of course, you don't always have the original image, but if you... Have if you have facial recognition, right? You know how uh, Google Photo can create albums of just your photos of you right, right. or friends or your spouse or whatever. Well, that's how it does it, right? So if your baby A has a face that's clear in one photo, but baby A is now non-clear in this photo, they have a history of baby A's face that so we looks know what clear should look like, and right? It it makes the algorithm works better. So I recommend. I know you probably uh, this is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek joke. Not really a joke, but it's something that you know people are going to laugh about. Give all your data to Google because the more data they get about you and your friends and your family, the better they can correct the blur on these photos, okay? <laughs> I get such trap because I don't even use Google Photos for my photo backup. I'm storing them on device. I am... Oh, wow. I, I came along around to a lot of Google information sharing. That's like my one holdout, but I'll probably become a convert in the next five years or so. I mean, I can understand the fear. Like, I think my, my spouse is completely against it. So um, I, they don't back up any of their phones. Um, they have an iPhone and a Flip 3, Z Flip 3. So they they just like, I'm like, you know, you know, if you don't back this up and they don't want to spend the money on like the, the iCloud extra and stuff. So I'm like, eh. as long as you know that you might lose all your photos at some point. People have been making fun of me. I was trying to find a photo from... I forget how many years ago. And I have to think back, well, what phone was I using at the time? Yes. So I have this problem because I I don't want to spend a huge amount. Like I get a phone a week roughly to review <laughs> on average, right? So imagine if every photo that I took was stored and I, I store them full res. So if I stored them all, it would be so much storage That's to pay ton. for. So I'm yeah. only storing I'm only storing the photos from my Pixel, my main phone, my day-to-day -day phone. And then for my review units, I leave them on device and I selectively mm. upload the ones that I need to, you know, do something with. And of course, then if I do a review and I need all the photos in the photo gallery, I transfer them to the computer for that for that post. But I back up every phone before I return it and I put that on my NAS. So my NAS has so you have it somewhere. a yeah. phone, backups, you know, Xiaomi, blah, 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 and then DCIM. And the pictures folder in case I've edited anything and, you know, the screenshots or whatever. And yep. so I have terabytes 
terabytes of photos taken with phones. But like you, if you ask me, that photo that you did that the upload to Google Photos that one time because you wanted to keep it, you know, I can see the metadata and tell you what when I took it with. But if I have to find yeah. that one photo in my NAS, I'm screwed, right? Like <laughs> it would be a needle through the haystack. So people are going to say, well, why don't you run uh, photos on your Mac to index all that stuff on your NAS? And then you have a database that it can find metadata on and stuff. I've thought about it. I don't know if I want to commit to the Apple ecosystem that much. I'm, I'm a Mac user, but I'm not an iPhone user. So you know, for me, it's like there's Google a lot of people kind of like being, that. Yeah, you're in good company. Yeah, Google's been the universal pivot for me. Like a lot of people don't understand why I'm so bung ho on using their services because they are the only platform that's really universal. I can literally find an old phone as long as the web browser is still relatively up to date, like a, a I don't know, like a, a Tizen phone or something, right? And I can go to Google Photos and see my photos on the web. Okay, guys? Like, this is mind-blowing. Like, on my Tesla, I can go to Google Photos, log in, <laughs> and look at my gallery, okay? Because it's a web browser. Like, you know, I know Apple lets you do that too with iCloud now. You, you have a web interface. But the, the point I'm trying to make is I think Google's done that much more universally because all of their services like Gmail, Calendar, all that stuff. I think it's had to because it didn't start out with hardware. It had to. No, we, we, exactly. we got used to using its services on other devices. So that's been an old hat for it. So for me, it's worked well. Microsoft offers similar services, but I just mm. don't find them as intuitive to use. And I'm, they're not free usually. And then Amazon, of course, has an entire ecosystem there. But the only yeah. part of the Amazon ecosystem system that I use is, well, Prime, because I order stuff online a lot, um, Whole Foods Prime as well. And then, of course, uh, the all the Amazon Home devices I have. Like, I, I have split, my home is split between the Google Home world and the Amazon Echo world, right? And it's something I can't resolve. I've gotten review units of Amazon products or companies that got acquired by Amazon, like Ring. My, my Ring doorbell, as mm. I mentioned last week on the show, is the original Ring doorbell, and it still works. And guess what? Well, I'm not going to like just buy another camera on Google just to simplify my life. So I still have a bunch of Amazon-related yeah. home automation things floating around. I was going to mention Amazon when you're talking about photo services. I don't think enough people realize that's an option. And It is. I, Amazon, I think in general, does a really bad job of advertising the services tied to Prime. I, mean, I got it for like one show I wanted that was on Prime. And obviously I'll use it for the, you know, it, it, well, it should be fast shipping. Now it feels like Prime shipping is standard. Um, but just like the gaming stuff, you know, tie up your Twitch account to it. I, people should, if you have Prime, take a few minutes, Google what you can actually get with it. I can almost guarantee there's stuff you're not taking advantage of. Yes, and that ties when, with Audible, which is our sponsor this week, and I'll mention this at uh -huh. the end of the show. There's a special deal, folks, so uh, stay tuned for that deal. And if you're in a rush and you just want to try right now to see what's going on, it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. But I don't want to derail this conversation. Let's talk no, about no. the Pixel Watch because I think I'm almost just as excited about the Pixel Watch as I am about the launch of the Pixel 7 series and some of the new photography features primarily for me. What's your take on this watch? I, I've been hesitant. So, so I was saying I was using the Watch 4 for the past year here. I've been using it, its fitness tracking features extensively. So I'm nervous because I'm very invested in Samsung's ecosystem here. And I, 
hope I get the same quality of data out of the Pixel Watch. I'm going to you know, go for my first walk on it tonight and see what kind of stats it gives me. Um, but as far as the hardware, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I'm nervous about how exposed the whole thing feels. And it's kind of weird. Right. Samsung, with like the Watch 5, it's just like it's gone the opposite direction. It's super reinforced the, the screen, has the sapphire crystals and everything, but at the same time, it has these chonky bezels, you know, especially on the Pro there. Whereas with, with Google, it's just, it's like it's begging you to hit this glass on stuff. And I, I'm sure, you know, the, the company's designed this well, it's using Gorilla Glass, and I'm sure it's very resistant, but the second there's that first imperfection on a watch, it's the only thing I'm going to be able to see. So I'm really yeah. curious how long until I hate this, because it reminds me of, of my clumsiness. So I have an Honor watch here, and you're probably not going to be able to see there's a scratch on it. Um, it is Gorilla Glass as well. And uh, as you can see, it's mm -hmm. not as pronounced of a curve on the edges as the uh, Pixel watch, but it's still one of those very 2.5D glass. And I love this watch. It's great. but I, you know, I've scratched it and it's bummer because, you know, you can see it and it's there. And next time I hit it on something, it's a weak spot in the glass now. And, you right, know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't try. It just, I think at some point I scraped against some rock or something, uh, you know, as one does in everyday life with a watch. And I, I've never been more aware of gash. doorknobs than I am when I'm wearing a smartwatch. I never think about yeah. doorknobs, but they're just trying I know. to kill me. It's awful. But for me, it's like I have this tendency to walk near walls. I don't know what it is. And then I scrape things on oh, concrete yeah. or oh, whatever. Yeah. And so Sapphire is a solution there. Like I've worn a number of Huawei watches that had Sapphire glass and absolutely zero wear and tear on these. I wore them for a year and a half, two years, nothing. Like That's why when I hear Gorilla, I'm like, ah, it might not shatter, but it will scratch. That's the but thing about Gorilla. You can't do... Our I've never seen, correct me if I'm wrong here, anyone doing sort of curved glass with sapphire. I don't think... I think some of the high-end, like, you know, $10,000... Oh, maybe, maybe it gets prohibitively like, expensive to... Swiss watches. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure you can do something. Okay. But but the, the the point I'm making is that, yeah, I'm, I'm very... Looking at this design, I'm well aware of, like, uh-oh, this could be a, a challenge, right? But at the same time, you know what? I'm going to be wearing it to review it for a few days, and I'm definitely going to not, like, pull any punches in using it. So let's see how it holds up. I'm not particularly rough on my watches, but, you know, this beautiful Honor watch that I've only worn for, what, three or four months now has already got a scratch. The OnePlus watch that I wore initially for a month during my review period and then put aside and then a year later wore again for three or four months after all the software updates and they fixed everything and it was mm. actually a better experience that one has zero scratch on it and it's the same kind of two and a half d exposed glass you know knock on wood but my point is that you know those of you who don't get these devices to review for free like that's an investment 350 dollars. you yeah. don't want to damage that right and we've seen like some, you know, little stick on, I, I don't want to call them cases because it feels like the wrong word here, but like protective covers for the bezel. Bezels. I, yeah, yeah. I don't love the look of anything I've seen no. so far, but. Mm. No. But I have to say my spouse is a little more rough and tumble than me. It has an Apple Watch SE. And yeah, there is definitely a lot of kind of scuff marks on the, on the edgy two and a half D part. 
but the main part is pretty clean still. Okay, so and everything works, and it does. It's not something that you notice obviously, right? Like you have to actually, like grab their wrist and hold it still and look at the watch to go like, oh, you've got some scuff marks. If you walked, saw them walking down the street or even tapping to pay with their watch at the yeah. coffee shop, you wouldn't notice any imperfections. That's fair. I think with watches, I notice imperfections the most when they're on metal more than glass because it, you know, it right. catches the light usually. Um, but I think with the Pixel Watch, the, the biggest thing Google has to do to convince people on it isn't durability, but the battery life. Everyone seems really concerned because it, it's, right. it's so small and I love how compact it is, but you know, are we going to get through a full day is what a lot of people are worried about. I hope so, because I want to try the sleep tracking with Fitbit integration. Because, you know, like right now, I actually only wear my smartwatch during the day and I wear a fitness band at night. Usually hmm. I think it's a, a, a Huawei one I have or a Xiaomi one. And it's how I do my sleep tracking. It integrates with Google Fit. Everybody's happy. It's all great. Um, and that way, you know, that thing lasts two weeks on a charge for just sleep tracking and then this watch lasts about a week on a charge it's one of those uh what i call hybrid yeah it's like a a fitness band on steroids is what i call it basically mm -hmm. you know it's a simple os it doesn't have any apps uh but it has all the fitness features like it's very 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 well thought out it's a lot like the oneplus watch was but better um and the huawei watch gt series is my favorite of those they run two weeks on a charge literally like with always on display because they're like running this super lightweight real-time OS and super efficient processor with a massive like 400 milliamp hour battery or 500 milliamp hour battery because they're big looking watches. And they have this really efficient LTPO OLED. And, you know, they're amazing. But don't expect like assistant. Don't expect payments. Don't expect, yeah, you know, you give up a like, lot. You give up a lot of the app stuff that you see on, say, an Apple Watch or a Samsung Watch. So I think that's that, what I'm excited. It's a valid option, yeah. Well, you don't necessarily need it, but I feel like with Pixel Watch, this is one of the nice things about this. This is the opportunity to get, finally, Google's vision of a smartwatch that fully integrates in the ecosystem. And when I think about how much I use the Google Assistant and Google Pay and other features on my Pixel, oh, I'm, I'm really looking forward. looking forward to that. Yeah, to home on the watch is what I is my biggest thing. Is. Oh, I'm yeah, constantly home. going around. Like every light in my house is a smart light, and I'm constantly you know talking to myself, asking assistant to turn things on or off, or reaching for a Nest Hub. And I don't love the interface on those, so I'm really hoping having this control right on my wrist all the time is going to be night and day difference in how I interact with my house. Um, yeah, I'm. Curious, you were talking about being very interested in being able to get sleep data. And I think, you know, Google's been making a point of, of emphasizing this. We had with the, uh, with a second gen hub, uh, doing its, you know, contactless sleep tracking. And now with the Pixel Watch, I'm not convinced. Oh, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Why is this a valuable feature to you? I well, struggle to find. You. I mean, I was curious about the snore tracking, uh, when Samsung was doing that just to know if I was still snoring or not, but, is this useful information? I mean, you can go to bed earlier, but I feel like people who know they're not getting good sleep are already aware of this. You would be surprised at how sometimes you sleep and you think you didn't sleep well, but you actually slept better than you thought. Or sometimes the other way around, you wake up, you feel pretty refreshed, and then you check the day and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then later on, it hits you. You get that nap feel. Um, for me, I'll, I'll show you for the folks watching the patrons, Patreon people who are watching the video version of this podcast, which is one of the things you can pay for, folks. Uh, I'm just going to show you folks real quickly what it looks like if this doesn't blur out my phone. Um, 
But basically, yeah, it's blowing up my phone. But <laughs> completely here, vanished. Here, oh, yeah, you no, can look, kind okay. of see some data here, okay? So it shows you this graph. And more importantly, at the bottom of the screen here, it has recommendations based on that. So it tells you things like, okay, you know, here's what you can possibly do to improve this part. So there, it, sh it breaks it down into deep sleep, uh, normal sleep, and REM sleep. And then it breaks down in how many times you were awake. And sometimes that's really interesting. I've noticed, for example, since I travel a lot for, for my car coverage, like different beds, I've noticed now that soft beds, oh, I sleep that's worse interesting. So there's a pattern here, right? Okay. Like, so, and, and you start seeing patterns. You start also seeing that when you go to bed at a certain time, you might not sleep as well. So this is just gives you extra data. So there is data. actionable information. Yeah, All there's right. actual information. And they make recommendations, at least on this Xiaomi app or whatever, to, you know, uh, here's what you can do to improve this. Um, some of them are pretty obvious. Like, you know, you went to bed too late. Like, I'm yeah. a late going to bed sleep person. Sleep more than four hours. Yeah, I'm never going to fix that. But this is a good night's sleep. I got eight hours, right? So, you know, like that's more, way more than normal. For me, six to six and a half is my usual go-to, right? So last night I slept really well and I feel pretty rested today. So the point is that I think this is nice to kind of validates whether or not you, what you think and what you feel is actually reality. And number one and number two, uh, gives you some chance to look at patterns and it you know it does weeklies and monthlies and you can kind of see a cycle and you can see like okay like when i was traveling that week it was pretty bad so was it because i was traveling or was it because this hotel room was loud or what was it right okay and i guess for a lot of people this is novel information they're not aware of i mean you don't think about what's going on while you're asleep and this is illuminating a part of their life they may not have even given a second thought before. And again, I'm not sure that everybody needs that, and I'm not saying they should, um, but I feel for me it's been helpful. I've now managed to find some things that I can do to make my nights of sleep better. One of the things is wearing earplugs. I oh. am not a person who wakes up easily from noise, but I've noticed that if I don't wear earplugs, my sleep quality is systematically lower. Interesting. That I wake up more times in the middle of the night. I might not notice it. I might not even remember it, but I do. Clearly I do. So also having a, a tracking of your heart rate overnight is really nice because it gives you a good baseline, like daytime heart rate versus nighttime heart rate. And from that, your doctor can actually conclude some things around your heart health. So, you know, if you feel that maybe you have some history of heart conditions in your family and you're starting to worry about taking care of that as you're getting older, these are kind of the things mm. that I think you can get out of that. Also, also oxygen level. So for this, it tells me, you know, like overnight, it samples my oxygen level, like my blood oxygen. So, you know, during COVID, when I was really concerned about like, am I going to get sick? This could tell me that potentially, was the hey, sign. Yeah. like you're starting to get some pretty low oxygen readings here. And you don't see that if you're just randomly sampling on the watch. But if you actually have a history of it, you can see it decrease over time or something. I just think it's kind of interesting data to have. And for me, it. I was kind of like you. I was kind of skeptical at first, but I tried it out and I was like, oh, this is actually actionable. I have heard some complaints, though, that people don't think that the Pixel Watch is gathering enough sensor data. Um, we don't get blood pressure, which granted is not well, actual blood that's pressure. That's really hard to do without a cuff right now, accurately. Sure, sure. So I know yeah, Samsung has guessing. a yeah. way. Yeah. But also it's not doing like the irregular, uh, the AFib detection. Uh, automatically right. to warn you of you know a health issue there, and I can see why Google's might not want to do that. The second you start going into this diagnostic road, it's yeah. very legally fraught, for sure. But they do have Fitbit 
history history of Fitbit having these relationships with the right. FDA and stuff. So I think it's more about battery life and finding a balance in terms of functionality. They feel they can deliver mm. in a consistent, proper way. And a lot of features are going to be added later. They've already talked about that. The hardware is there, which is great. Again, if this can meet the battery life, I don't expect to sleep with this thing. I'll test it just to make sure the algorithm works. But for those of you who, sh you know, app, app, essentially Apple Watch users, you shower in the morning, put your watch on the charger while you shower for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour while you get ready in the morning, your watch charges and you're good for the rest of the day. I think that's kind of the use that most Pixel users are going to have. And they might not wear it at night. I personally don't like wearing something this big at night. It's, yeah. it's like, that's why the fitness band is such a light, it's just tiny little thing, right? So um, also if you sleeping with your spouse you don't want to hit them in the face with a watch <laughs> it, it it hurts a lot less when it's just the palm of your hand you know i mean things like that um so I, I feel like for that intent i think this is why i'm looking forward kind of more to the ecosystem play and the way like for me it's going to be google pay and it's going to be home automation and it's going to be the assistant on my hand like that's what i really am looking forward to the most right now yeah yeah because i've purposely picked these long battery life dumb watches you know because all i wanted was notifications and really good step tracking blood oxygen heart rate and all that other stuff so that's kind of what i was focusing on and it gives me that and it gives me that with battery life to die for right but if I start adding apps and real functionality like an Apple Watch, I want my Google ecosystem. And that's what, so far, Android Wear has not delivered in a consistent and exciting and solid and happy, make me happy way. Right? Yeah, for all the years we've had Android smartwatches, I don't think anyone's, made, there's never been a killer app. No one's really made a case for this is software that you need on your wrist. It's going to, to change the way you go about your day-to-day -day life. Instead, it's just been these like, plumped up versions of fitness band features, you know, more elaborate tracking, more data, better, better sensor information. But there hasn't been that like, this is why you need this to be smart. This is going to, this is your phone shrunken down on your wrist. I don't know that I've seen that software yet uh, from Google, but if we're going to, this is the year that it's gonna happen. Now Google has motivation, I think, to finally yes. invest in, in in smartwatch software in a way that it hasn't over the past decade. This could be the beginning. And I think for Apple, the Apple Watch Ultra is it. It's really the shrunken down iPhone. You, From a few people I've talked to who are hardcore Apple Watch users and now have an Ultra, they're saying, yeah, I leave my phone a lot more now. Just that extra real estate lets mm -hmm. me actually do more actionable things on my watch than before. Even though I could do them, they weren't very pleasant. And now I've got a little more room to do them and I feel like more compelled to do them. So. And better battery life helps too, right? Because you just spend more time with the screen on, your battery life is going to go down, right? Sure, sure. So, you know, to me, this is exciting. I'm hoping that it can deliver. Um, I would love longer battery life, but, you know, you're getting some pretty exciting functionality here. When I see, like, say, my spouse and how they use their watch, you know, payments, talking to Siri all the time. These are things I can't do with this Honor Watch. And it's kind of a bummer. And I'm really looking forward to being able to do that, but with Google, you know? Yeah, um, payments is a big thing. Um, when you don't need to have your phone on you being out and about, I think that's just so freeing. It's one less thing to worry about. And now that I can, you know, 
if I just impromptu, I feel like picking something up at the store. I don't need to think, oh, did I remember to bring my wallet with me? I left my phone at home. It's not a problem. And yeah, that's it's, exactly it's incredible. And then you can even unlock your front lock or something, you know, if you have like home integration. There you go. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I don't have a smart lock because I I live in an old Victorian in San Francisco and <laughs> there's no way the door will ever line up. I always have to pull or push on the door to close the oh, lock. I've had doors so, like that. So a smart yeah. lock would fail pretty much all the time. But um, let's talk quickly before we jump on to the other phones that came yeah. out this week. Talk about the tablet. Anything that stood out for you about this? Like, did they just kind of like wanted to remind us it existed? Or was there actually any information there that was new to us? So we got the name. Have they ever confirmed the name before? Have they said formally? I don't think they did, but also we got the chip. It's going to be the Tensor G2 as well. Oh, right. There were rumors it was going to be the old one. Yeah. Um, So so, I don't know that that's necessarily a big deal. I mean, Google was talking about this is primarily a home device. This is people taking the tablet around their houses, putting it in their speaker dock, using it as a replacement for their their Nest Hub. So I don't know that if it were to get the older processor, it would be a big deal. Um, but it's great that it's going to be uh, you know, a modern device. I think the biggest question now, everyone's talking, what's pricing going to look on this thing? I've yeah. heard the number 400 thrown around as like a dream price. I would be really surprised if that happens. I feel like it'll be a little bit steeper. Um, I guess it really comes down to the you know what sort of functionality you get with this this te- the dock. Is this going to be like a wireless speaker you can use with other devices? Can your phone cast to it? I mean, it, it's a lot open up in the air still, and I can tell why Google's not giving us a, even close to a firm date on this. It feels like this is still very much a work in progress. So I'm curious when we actually get it. Yeah, I feel like what I'm excited about is that potentially using Google Photos on a bigger tablet that I know is superly optimized for Android and the Android 13 in particular. And like right now I use Google Photos sometimes to edit on a bigger screen with various mm. Android tablet. I've got the new Redmi Pad, whatever, that just came out and it's gorgeous and really affordable. And it's got, it basically is an iPad Pro copy, but at a cheaper price point. And, and it's Android and it's great. But, you know, it's not Google's Android. It's, it's not that seamless integration. And so I, want, I, I use that. That's kind of the only thing I see myself using the tablet for is, is Google photo editing with a bigger canvas to play with. I'm not convinced that Android tablets have any future. Everyone's got weird use cases. for No, like two people I've spoken to use their Android tablets in the same way. Thankfully, they exist and they're really cheap. So if that's all you're going to do with them, just buy them, right? Like maybe unless you want one of Samsung's ridiculous giant ones. Oh yeah, no, they're. I mean, again, some people use those. I'm not sure how or why, but um, honestly, to me, I feel like the iPad ecosystem in terms of apps is so much superior that if you're going to have a tablet, you know, probably should be an iPad. Like I hate to say this as a Google user, but. Google's made progress, I think, on, on tablet apps. It's certainly talked about making that a priority. We've seen apps uh, optimized for it over the past, well, I guess, the, over the summer we had a few updates. But that said, I never really had an issue with the tablet uh, apps not being optimized for it because you still have access to them. And I don't know. I, I don't get hung up on UI things, I think, in the way a lot of people do. If it can get done, that's enough for me, even if it's ugly looking and the buttons are weird and we're not making the best use of screen real estate. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting nostalgia for my Nexus Nine. You're thinking oh, earlier about I our favorite. That. Uh, oh oh yeah. god, I love the, the size or the shape of that thing was my favorite. I think it was three by two or close yeah. to it. The screen. No, I was just thinking about the aspect ratio of the tablet. I couldn't picture it in the Pixel tablet, whether it was 1610. It's widescreen, uh, though, isn't it? It's widescreen. It's yeah, widescreen. Which is not ideal for me, but... Let's switch the gears and talk really briefly, because we had to wrap up yeah. about the Xiaomi phones this week and the Infinix, which kind of came out of nowhere. It's just the first Infinix phone that I'm like, uh-oh. I mean, I've I've been a big fan of their phones for a while simply because of the value proposition but this is finally entering mid-range territory in a serious way so the xiaomi's there is the 12t series which is as you know every year we get the the xiaomi numbered phone it used to be me numbered phone and then we got the t series in the fall it's kind of the TikTok cycle, right? and so this is now the xiaomi 12t and there's a 12t and a 12t pro you know Rapid firing through these real quick. Basically, the takeaway is you're getting a you know more affordable version and a pro version, and neither of them have the Leica branding because it turns out that the Leica branding is reserved to the Chinese only phones right now. Uh. But if you look at the spec sheet, they're very similar. They're both Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, which is I would say the best chip on the market today. Um, one is a 200 megapixel camera with OIS, which is the uh, bigger, bigger Samsung sensor, the one that, that I believe is shared with the Moto, what is it, Edge 30 Ultra. And it's OIS, of course. And then it has, you know, a beautiful OLED, which is 1220p, very interesting resolution. That is odd, yeah. Yeah, and, the, you know, Xiaomi, as the first time I think they've done a 1220p because... Uh, Honor and Huawei have done that resolution before. Uh, of course, it's 120 hertz. You know, it's bright. It has lots of RAM and storage, and it's you know fast storage and fast RAM. Uh, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, 120 watt fast charging. I don't think you get wireless charging on this one. And in terms of the rest of the cameras, it's nothing spectacular. You get a 20 megapixel in the front. You get an 8 megapixel, uh, you know, ultra wide, which is mm, interesting. But apparently. You also get a, and this is disappointing, a two megapixel macro sticker cam, as I like to call it. Might as well not exist. Why bother? Yeah. Well, this is, I think, where they're cutting costs because this phone, with all the specs I just read you, 120 watt charging, 200 megapixel camera with OIS, you know, Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, a beautiful AMOLED, metal and glass, is $799 roughly. I think it's a little less than that uh, globally, which is like, wow. Okay. I hate that that sounds affordable to us, that phone prices have gotten so out of whack that, that this is an affordable flagship, but... Well, you do get mm. a lot for your money no, there. No, you do, think absolutely, about it. yeah. Right? So... And I think it's prioritizing the things that people actually care about uh, when they're looking at their phone. It's my camera and battery, you know, is this going to be... Is it going to have battery life when I need it, and can I recharge it quickly? And for your yeah. average user, these are the, the big ones. And then, so this is the Isocell HP1. There's also an Isocell HP3, which has smaller pixels. I believe this is the one with the bigger pixels. Right. And uh, then the regular T has uh, just a 108 Isocell with OIS. 
only 108 megapixels. I mean, if you can get by. And uh, what else does it sacrifice? Let's see, I'm looking at the specs here. Also has 120 watt charging, has the same AMOLED panel. Oh no, I was wrong. It's not a Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. It's a Dimensity 8100 Ultra on the non-pro model. So that is a slight difference, but actually that's probably how they save money. So yeah. honestly, I've so I've got the pro here, folks. I will be talking about it more on the podcast in the future. I just haven't had time to play with it yet. Just came out two days ago. So stay tuned. I'm a big fan of the imaging pipeline on the Xiaomi phones. I think they've really like tuned it well. And this is the first 200 megapixel phone or phone with that sensor that I've any kind of hope for being half decent, because you know how Moto, you can't save them when it comes to camera. They yeah, can have all the specs. having the sensor isn't enough. Exactly. So stay tuned, folks, on that one. But the one I'm more excited about this week is the Infinix Zero Ultra. Okay, a little background. Infinix is a company that's, you know, again, a Chinese Shenzhen-based company that primarily sells in markets like Africa, India, and other parts of the world that are generally developing markets. And in the past, they've come out with phones that were as cheap as $150, as more, as expensive as $300-ish. And they brought some interesting features to the table. Last summer, they had an Ultra-branded phone as well, or a Zero-branded phone that had, get this, it didn't have 5G, but it had an OLED screen of decent quality, and it had a Periscope 5X telephoto and a main sensor with OIS and a decent ultra-wide, and the images coming out of that thing were actually good. Um, like, competitive, but for an incredible price point, and I think it was like some kind of Helio chipset, but my point is that other than lack of 5G and lack of a mid-range to premium head chipset, mm -hmm. everything on it was good. The design was really cool. The materials were decent. RAM and storage were okay. The OLED display was decent. And I think it was a, a 90 hertz OLED even. Like, they've crammed a lot of cool stuff. They've also had phones with really high- What was high... The, the price point on that? Do you remember? I think it was 350. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, and for the photos it took, I was really impressed. But more importantly, the thing had, um, you know, it, it it was like just well-rounded overall uh, as an experience. And they've had other phones with really high speed charging. I think they came out with a 150 watt charging phone like way before OnePlus and BBK Group. Like last, I want to say early this year or late 2021. And I believe like, you know, uh, Lou over at uh, Unbox Therapy, you know, got their hands on it first and made a whole review. Review. Can you believe it? 150 watt or something like that. So what's exciting about this? Oh, and they've made a 5G phone in the past, Infinix too, but it was like an LCD display, like a lower price point with like a Dimensity, yeah. like Dimensity 700 or something. So this is the first time that we're seeing kind of like the perfect kind of combo, in my opinion. We're getting an OLED panel. We're getting a Dimensity 920. We're getting that crazy 200 megapixel sensor, which I believe is the, the 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 cheaper model. We're getting OIS on that, and we're getting 180 watt fast charging. Does anybody else have anything that fast right now? I don't think quite that high. 150 maybe. Yeah, 150. We've seen like OnePlus 10T yeah. and some Realme phones, and then of course. Xiaomi's done 120 watt pretty consistently for a while. Mm. And we've seen 240 watt announced, but this is the first time I'm seeing 180, I'm pretty sure. So 120 hertz display, 
Uh, it's got a bunch of other cameras, which I'm sure are not very exciting. But I mean, the price point now, let's see. Don't forget There's the selfie also... cam. Oh, yeah. What about it? <laughs> Sorry. Well, we have the 60 megapixel front face. Oh, yeah. All right. And with OIS. With OIS, yeah. Oh, my God. I completely missed that. Look at that. And the thing looks pretty decent, right? I mean, it's probably plastic. But I actually, so I have it here, guys. Again, I haven't taken it out of the box yet because I've been so busy with Google this week. But uh, overall, I'm pretty impressed with the specs. Now I'm trying to figure out what the pricing is on this because that's going to be the key, uh, right? It's okay. 520 for the Ultra? Okay, so they're really, for them, this is, this is their flagship. This is like, new there is territory, no doubt. Like in, yeah. in a market like Africa, $520 is going to be a baller kind of phone. But look at the specs you're getting. Isn't that really cool? Yeah, this makes it a nice value proposition. Yeah. And so then, of course, there's also a lesser model. I, I'm not going to get into it. I'll link to an Android police story, folks, with all the details. But I'm mostly excited about this Ultra because I feel like, you know, I don't know. I have a thing for value phones. I don't know how to explain Oh, it. no, me too. It's like, even if they're not perfect, I'm like, bring it on. Like when I see a motor phone where the camera is always underperforming and the price is like ridiculous, you know, like the, the G, the, the stylus 5G, the G stylus 5G, like too expensive for what you're delivering moto. And, and I'm just like shaking my head. But when I see this, I'm like, I'm willing to accept that maybe the camera is not going to be great, but it probably will based on my Infinix experience in the past. And I'm willing to accept that, you know, it might have some flaws, but like, this like looks like it has everything and 180 watt charging. Holy crap. Yeah. There's not a lot of trade-offs here. Some people won't love the MediaTek chip, but I think uh, you're going to go with Snapdragon. You're going to pay for that. So this is making a lot of, I don't think too big trade-offs, making them smart decisions about getting that, that economic balance. I think the 920 is not a slouch. I mean, that's a decent chip. It's not like, you know, it's in the mid-range of the dimensity. Yeah, lines. no, it, it's, it's, it's fine. It just has a, uh, it doesn't have the clout that Snapdragon no. does. But that said, people who are going to be buying phones like this aren't doing it because of the specs. They're not silicon uh, groupies there. No, and you're, you're not going to buy this in North America, folks. The reality, though, is I know yeah. a lot of my audience is in India. A lot of my audience is in other markets. If the 5G works in your market, you can import this phone. You know, even if it, you know, you replace with something in a year from now, it might be a decent phone to carry around if you want something that's like a, a, a premium mid-ranger, I guess, is where I would put it. So yeah, I'm really curious how that selfie cam performs. It's easy to give a lot of pixels, but if you actually yeah, as get I said, really nice their imaging pipeline, Infinix, has always been pretty solid. I took some photos in low light when they announced their new low light imaging pipeline like a year or so ago. And I was like, holy crap, this is competitive. I'm impressed. It's like not, you know, the best I've ever seen, but mm -hmm. like for a phone that was, I think 180 bucks or something, I was like, okay, like, you know. Right. When the bar is that low, it's easy to, I mean, if you can still impress despite like not doing the bare minimum, that's, that's a big deal. And the one that really stood out for me was last summer when they did that one with the 5X periscope with OIS and the main sensor with OIS that was really <laughs> well sorted and cost like 300 bucks. And I was like, okay, I expected the cameras to be crap, but I took it on a walk to Central Park because I think I was in town for something. And I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. This actually is holding its own. This is actually pretty damn solid. Like, you know, I would say easily competing with like some Samsung A-series or something, you know? 
So and that's the go-to affordable phone for, I think, a lot of people. Uh, if, yeah. Giving them something that can offer a little more for their money, even if it's not a brand that they're super familiar with. I mean, in the end of the day, people will be convinced by the uh, the price tag. So yeah, uh, this might the have other a brand that is a sister brand of Infinix that you should keep your eyes on, folks, is Techno. Mm. You probably have heard of this brand. I have one Techno phone in my arsenal, and it was okay. But, you know, I have a pretty big sampling of Infinix now because the PR agency that represents Infinix is the same that represents MediaTek, so we kind of know them well. And they just send me every Infinix phone. And it's kind of cool because, like, I use them for a few days, right? Like, but then I'm like, oh, I've got a data point now of, like, where the right, mid-range right. or the budget phone world is outside of North America. So... Stephen, we should wrap it up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, all your social media handles, and of course, you know, pimp Android police as you go here? Android police is the place to go to. Uh, I do not use social media anymore, but uh, I post occasionally. So definitely check out Android police for uh, my latest wrong opinions about things. I don't know. I feel that you're generally pretty dead on. So <laughs> yeah. So folks, if you want... To follow me on Twitter or Instagram, that's easy. It's at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character, just drop all the vowels. Of course, you can comment about the podcast on Twitter. And you can uh, check out my pretty pictures on Instagram. There's pictures of phones, pictures of cars, pictures of travel stuff, pictures of food. Pictures of float planes. Yeah, planes. Mostly taken with phones, honestly, which is kind of like my vibe. I mean, I like a good camera every now and then, but but mostly the phones. And then, of course, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com, and we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. And if your app lets you uh, review or rate the show, please consider doing that. That would really help. Also, there's a couple of YouTube channels you can subscribe to, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast and youtube.com slash mobiletechmore. The main one is really all about the phones and watches and earbuds and immediate peripherals to the phones. The more channel is more like car tech and travel tech and all the peripheral ecosystem, home tech and stuff like that. So you know how YouTube works. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the little notification bell, comment. You can comment about the podcast as well if you want. I will be happy to respond to your comments there too, if, even if it's unrelated to the video. And then finally, there's a Patreon. If you want to help me out, make this podcast every week. If you want to financially contribute to me making this podcast, consider joining Patreon. Patreon.com slash tankerl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we have a video edition of this podcast that's only for the patrons, and they get it a couple of days before everyone else. And it's a little less edited, a little more raw. I just leave some of the bloopers in there and stuff. So you kind of feel like you might have a little bit more of a personal experience with it. Check it out. That's one of the tiers. There's also a Discord server you can join to chat with me if you want and some other perks there so please consider helping with patreon patreon.com slash tnkgrl if you don't like patreon or something and you want to still contribute financially there's a paypal link in the show notes you can click through there and it gives you a choice of what you want to donate give me five bucks i love my coffee so you know that'll help a little bit anything will do consider that i'd appreciate it and to wrap things up i want to thank of course, Audible are a longtime sponsor. They're awesome. If you like reading like I do, but maybe you're tired at the end of the day because you've been looking at screens all day, and the last thing on your mind is to look at another giant screen to watch Netflix, 
maybe you should check out Audible because you like books. So we have a special deal, as I mentioned earlier in the show. It's a 30-day free trial, and you get to keep a book whether you stay or go. I think you'll stay. But more importantly, the URL for that is audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. So if you want to help the podcast, you can help Audible, and that'll help the podcast. And at the same time, you get yourself some awesome audiobooks. Now, you know, Audible is not just the number one platform in terms of audiobooks on the planet, but they have all kinds of other stuff. There's like some uh, short form content, some exclusive podcasts. Some of the books are read by the authors. I just love the idea that after a busy day, I can take a break and put some headphones or earbuds on and just listen to somebody read me a book rather than like my poor old eyes looking at a Kindle or something crazy like that. So that's, that's basically it. So if you want that, check out Audible. They've been our long-term sponsor and we love them. So thanks again to Audible for being our sponsor. And Stephen, thanks so much for being on the show. So great to finally have you. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to uh, to finally check out your, your impressions on the uh, Pixel 7 once you've had some time to use that and see if it holds up to uh, to what you've been hoping. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I can't wait to get my device from Team Pixel. So folks, I'll keep you posted on the podcast. I'll have Steve on in the future again, and you know I'll have another show next week, so stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.